So last week we completed this section on relying on a spiritual mentor. So we're going to do that next se- section, which is called the human situation. So the third Dalai Lama says, at this point the question may arise, if one relies upon a spiritual master who points out the path to enlightenment and tries to please him or her by making him the offering of practice as practicing as he teaches, what exactly is meant by offering of practice? Okay, so remember last time we talked about, you know, forming a relationship and then the best thing to offer is our practice. We offer material, we offer service and we offer practice. So what is actually offering practice means? Next sentence is very powerful. Practice means taking upon yourself the responsibility of continually living in accordance with the Holy Dharma, the teachings given to you by your spiritual master. Again, this is the meaning of offering practice. Practice means taking upon yourself the responsibility of continually living in accordance with the Holy Dharma, the teachings given to you by your spiritual master. But what jumps out at me in this thing is taking upon yourself the responsibility. Different words may jump out from this sentence of different people, but that's what jumps out at me. Okay? In other words, I have to take upon myself the responsibility for practicing the Dharma. Okay? For putting into practice the teachings given to you by your spiritual master. That is my responsibility, and I have to take that responsibility. Because if I don't take that responsibility, my teachers can teach me up, down, and across. I don't change at all. If I don't take the responsibility, they can encourage me. They can do somersaults. I'm spaced out and walk the other way. If I don't take the responsibility then I'm going to sit there and say, they're pushing me. Why are they pushing me? Yeah. As if our teachers are being mean to us when they're encouraging us to practice the Dharma. Isn't that amazing what our mind does? Here is somebody trying to teach us how to create the causes for happiness. And we see them as an enemy who's pushing us to do something that we don't want to do. Isn't that astounding what our mind does? So if we don't take the responsibility, then we sit there and whine. Oh, I've been going to Dharma class for so long and my mind's still full of junk. Why? I haven't changed a bit. You know? All this teaching doesn't work. Well, why it isn't working is because we haven't taken the responsibility to practice it. 
you know we're still kind of maybe waiting to be spoon fed you know our teacher's going to put a little spoonful of the dharma you know (laughs) put some sugar on it and go open wide watch the airplane you know and we're waiting for that (laughs) okay (laughs) is is that how Jay Rinpoche got his his realizations is that how the Buddha got his realizations you know, Galang Mapomo, the head of this lineage of the Chenresi practice, is that how she got her realizations? Because she was waiting for somebody to go, you know, just put the sugar on and go, open wide, zoom, you know? I don't think that's how any great realized being got their realizations, is by expecting anybody else to spoon feed them the Dharma, you know? And I don't think they got their realizations by accusing their teachers of forcing them and pushing them and seeing their teacher as an enemy. Okay. I don't think they they got their realizations by dragging their feet and saying, Oh, but it's too hard and it's pushing my buttons. I know I have all these buttons and the Dharma's pushing my buttons. Can't it not push my buttons for a while, please? Can you make it easier? You know? (laughs) Do you think that Lama Palma, before she had a direct vision of Chenrezi, sat and whined like that? and then gives you more sugar you know because you lollipops yeah so can you be like that you think along the pomo did that I don't think so <laughs> yeah so you know that's why it jumps out at me you know when it says taking upon yourself the responsibility okay of continually living in accordance with the holy dharma the teaching given to you by your spiritual master. The continually living in accordance with it. I mean, that's hard to do, okay? That's going to take some time. But if we don't even start it, yeah, if we don't even try, because we're just sitting there, you know, whining and feeling sorry for ourselves and saying this, you know, this TV program isn't good. Change the station, you know. Um, <laughs> if that's what our mental attitude is. Stop bossing me around and telling me what to do. Uh, 
then so we've somehow got to think what are the teachings I've been given and how as much as I can can I live in accordance with them you know and we lose it and we are negligent and we create negative karma but at least we're trying we're taking that responsibility to try and do it okay through working with the teacher and with the laws of cause and effect you can take advantage of your extremely valuable human life a life form hard to find and once found very meaningful a treasure more precious than a wishful filling gem okay so how do we use our life wisely how do we try and continually live in accordance with the Dharma okay by working with the teacher one and two with the laws of cause and effect okay really understanding that Dharma is about creating the causes so we have to really believe that causes bring results you know if we don't believe it then we're not going to try and create the causes for enlightenment and if we don't really believe that causes bring results then we're not going to stop creating the causes for misery so the first thing is really to have a very deep you know deep um, belief in cause and effect so that we really apply that in our life and in you know our decisions and in what we let our mind think about because sometimes we might be in a bad mood or might be angry and we might even notice that but we just let our mind sit there and be in that state have you ever had that happen I'm in a bad mood I'm ruminating about how I don't like somebody but I really don't like them and I'm going to sit and develop this story a little bit more because they deserve my anger (laughs) okay at that moment if we really stopped and said I believe in cause and effect what kind of seeds am I putting on my own mind stream by letting myself think in this way okay what am I creating for myself when I let myself just ruminate about the wrong somebody has done to me and I'll have I'm an unfair victim of these people's stupidity and prejudice what am I doing to myself by letting myself continue developing that kind of thought so if we really believe in cause and effect it becomes much easier to catch ourselves at those kind of times and say oops you know I don't want to do that I had an interesting experience yesterday I was I forget what it was I was thinking about something and I realized that as I was thinking about it it was making me lose my energy for working on the project you know that I'm working on and I suddenly caught and I said you know I cannot afford to lose my energy because this project is too important I cannot afford to lose my energy so I've got to drop this thought (laughs) you know 
because this thought is not helpful yeah for me you know and then by extension for other sentient beings but you know this thought is not at all helpful plus the fact that it's you know completely you know stupid but you know it's not helpful for creating the cause for what I want to you know be able to do so let's let go of it Hmm? yeah so you know reflecting really about cause and effect is is I think important in, in that way I was thinking because the section I've been working on that's been so hard I've really gotten stuck is the whole section about ignorance which I find hilarious <laughs> because you can see ignorance in so many different ways there's the mental factor of ignorance there's ignorance of, in the, of the three poisonous attitudes there's the ignorance of the first link there's like all different kinds and so what is ignorance in each different situation and according to the Abhidharma Kosh and according to um, you know um, um Kuntu, what is it called? Compendium of Knowledge, you know. And then according to Prasangika and so yeah. And so really thinking about these things, you know, when you go through the tender reflections. Yeah. And like what is distorted views? Because you see you read the, the text and we see some of the examples, you know. Oh, distorted views is believing in the triple gem. Well, I don't have that distorted view, I believe in the triple gem. Well, do I really act like I believe in the triple gem? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I believe in rebirth. Uh, do I really act like I believe in rebirth? Do I really believe in rebirth? Yeah? Or does my mind just kind of say, yes, I believe in rebirth? This is what you were talking about, the, the, the intellect versus the experience. You know, they just say, "Oh yeah, I have all the fat Buddha views." Or am I really living my life like I really believe these things? Mm-hmm. I'm stopping and, and asking myself. And doubt, you know, I always find doubt quite an interesting one. I usually, think I don't have much doubt as I sit and ponder this and ponder that and get stuck in the middle of this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't have any doubt. <laughs> you know, just not even recognizing it when it when it comes up. Yeah. And then, what's the relationship between doubt and distorted views? Yeah. And it's really interesting because in in the Abhidharma formulation, in one Abhidharma formulation of the evolution of the defilement it starts with ignorance in view of the, of the perishing aggregates and then it goes to doubt and distorted view and all these other wrong views you know that they develop sequentially so from ignorance and grasping at the self you know then you have doubt about whether suffering exists or doesn't then you have distorted views mm-hmm. then you think that you know, wrong practices are actually the path to liberation. And you think all your wrong views are the best view. And then you get attached to your views. 
you get angry when other people disagree with them and when they have other views you get proud of your views so in there the evolution it all starts you know I mean all, everything starts with ignorance but then it goes from doubt to distorted views and all these five wrong views and out of that comes attachment of anger and pride which I thought was a very interesting way of, of watching the evolution of the defilements yeah and then there's another way that Jane Rinpoche talks about in the, in the stages of the path where you start with ignorance in view of the perishing aggregate and then because of that you see I and other and then when you see I and other you get attached to what's on your side you have hostility towards what's on the other side you get proud of yourself and then you go into all the various kinds of distorted views the five inflicted views so I thought that was interesting because there you have the emotional stuff first the attachment the hostility and the pride and then that gives rise to the doubt and the views whereas in the other formulation it was exactly the opposite yeah and so looking at how these things are like so intertwined you know and um, you know when, when do they really manifest in the mind yeah. yeah. When am I really doing checking meditation and trying to understand something important? And when am I just sitting in my doubt and embellishing my doubt? Yeah? You know, because sometimes not even recognizing doubt because it just seems like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah not like not meaning that you should suppress your doubts okay we have to seek some kind of resolution to our doubts and a doubt can, you know the right kind of doubt can lead to you know wanting to learn and curiosity but here when we're talking about the ten root afflictions it's the deluded doubt that's more towards on the you know the wrong conclusion yeah. Do we even notice when that's coming in the mind? Mm-hmm. No. Or even regular doubt, that, that isn't even the deluded doubt. When we're just stuck and we're playing around with, no, why this? How come this doubt? I mean, boy, you know, mm-hmm. I could, I've done that for a long time. All the monasteries, why don't they teach the subjects in this order? Why don't they teach them in that order? You know, and there's one way of understanding that, that you can explore it in a really wise way that leads you to understanding. And then there's another way where you just sit there in this style, why don't they do this? Why don't they do it that way? Why don't they do it Anyway, how did I get off on that tangent? <laughs> Creating the causes. Okay. Yes, creating the causes. Stopping the affliction as soon as they arrive. Okay. So yeah. So the whole idea of you know really thinking about cause, cause and effect, and what am I creating the causes for? Hmm? And you know, like when you're sitting down 
to offer your food. And you're going to offer your food because you know you're offering your food. But, you know, let's just do it quickly and eat. <laughs> yeah, you ever had that one? Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, I already offered my food how many times today? Let's just, you know, do this and, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then you think, well, I'm gonna be eating anyway, and it's gonna take just as long to say the prayer, contemplating what it means, as and not contemplating what it means. It's not like not contemplating what it means is. You didn't get that food in my mouth any quicker. <laughs> but it seems like it will, doesn't it? You know, like if I don't contemplate it, somehow I'll do it more quickly. As if, if you're doing it quickly, you can't contemplate. Whereas, you know, you can do it quickly and like really contemplate at the same time. And it's going to take me just as long. You know, and I'm gonna, it's going to take me just as long to eat, and I'm going to eat anyway. So why not do it? with a virtuous mind because I'm lazy because <laughs> I'm lazy and I want to space out yeah and it's too much it's you know I can go dig a dish I can go walk three miles but I can't move my mind you know moving my mind is you know, that requires too much energy for me. I can't move my mind from being spaced out to one notch over to concentrating on the meaning of the prayer that I'm saying. You know? You ever had that? <laughs> yeah? As if moving the mind were like, you know, moving five million tons or something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Okay, so who, who, working with the teacher and with the laws of cause and effect, you can take advantage of your extremely valuable human life, a lifetime hard to find and once found very meaningful. Okay, so I'm not going to go through the the eight freedoms and the ten fortunes now. Okay. Because I think that you know you can get those from other lawman books, and and you might have heard them before. But just to think about that, our life is hard to find, and once found, very meaningful. Okay, and you know we were talking how this week a number of the people that we know very well and care about have been in the hospital and whatever, making prayers for them. And so, really thinking, you know, a life form hard to find and once found very meaningful. And then how quickly it can go. Yeah. And how do you life make your life meaningful? And why is it difficult to find this kind of life okay because we take our life so much for granted and we just assume that we're always going to have the opportunities 
that we have to practice right now. But, you know, things can change very, very quickly, not even dying, you know, but you have a heart attack or you have a brain aneurysm, you know, aneurysm, blood pressure in your brain, or whatever, you know, and then suddenly mind doesn't function. Difficult to practice the Dharma. Can't remember. Yeah? Or who knows what kind of thing can happen. And, uh, and we don't have that opportunity anymore. And so really seeing how quickly life comes and life goes and how difficult it is to have a precious human life in that whole process. Okay? And even if you have a precious human life, how difficult it is to make use of it, to get over the lazy mind, the distracted mind, the fearful mind, the mind of attachment, the mind of self-pity, you know, all these different distractions that come our way so that we can really make this life useful. Yeah, I mean, that, that's how it's not just getting the precious human life. It's like getting over the bump so that we can actually use it for, for something valuable. Because if you think about it, how many people really have a precious human life? You know, and what blows my mind is it's like, like right now in these days, His Holiness is teaching in Dharmasala. Every day I go to bed at night and I'm, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, they just finished prayers. Now His Holiness is starting to give the general talk. Now he's going into, you know, because I've been to the teachings, in the, the spring teachings, I kind of know how it is. And, you know, then I wake up in the morning, okay, they just finished the afternoon session. You know, now everybody's going to get tea. Because <laughs> my mind's, you know, half there. But, um, you know, say, how, um, you know, so here's His Holiness teaching, and he's, this year he's teaching God to Bodhisattva's way of life, Shantideva's text. And then there's people who come to Dharmasala uh, for the teachings, especially to do business because you have so many people coming for the teachings that boy this is your time to do business so a lot of vendors come a lot of beggars come there they are right close to his holiness teaching Shanti Deva's precious texts but these people don't have a precious human life yeah because one of the conditions of the precious human life is having the interest in the Dharma and they're not interested in the Dharma they're there to earn a living. Can you say that though? I mean, how, how can you say, I mean, if we were there, we can't look at them and say, this person isn't necessarily a bodhisattva? Oh, of course. no, I'm just thinking, um, everybody could be a bodhisattva. Okay, all these people could be bodhisattvas. I'm just looking conventional, normal appearance. Okay, they all could be totally, totally bodhisattvas. Okay, but, but just conventional, normal appearance. Yeah, it looks like they came more for other reasons. Yeah, and I, that makes me think, wow, you know, so close to the Dharma, but so far away. And how many rebirths have has that been my situation? So close to the Dharma, and so far away. Yeah, 
as for how many you know human beings are there on this planet and how many of them actually have a precious human life and of those who have a precious human life how many are actually using their precious human life to extract the Dharma value from it and how many are planning on how they're going to use their precious human life in the future after they make enough money so that they can feel financially secure uh, how many are planning on how they you know all the retreats they're going to go on all the studies they're going to do after they do something else to work out some other kind of psychological issue or something that they really want or need very badly yeah and so yeah how how that happens that you know moment by moment the the life that's so difficult to to get you know we have all of our reasons why we can't practice dharma as if the dharma were our enemy as if the Buddha were trying to harm us and we're afraid of the Dharma it's true I've had that experience yeah I have to remind myself sometimes yeah about this is all about compassion and love and this and that I don't know why my mind ever goes there yeah yeah this is just all the ego resistance that you know ignorant mind makes up and we have to recognize it for what it is yeah otherwise it's like a donkey with a ring in its nose and you know and we're just led anywhere when somebody pulls that ring you know we follow that thought and there we are okay so it's meaning our, our life is meaningful you know in that you know we can use it to create the cause for liberation and enlightenment we can use it to create the cause for a good rebirth we can make it valuable every single moment that it's happening okay so our life is a treasure more precious than a wish fulfilling gem now I don't know if when you were in grade school your teachers gave you the same assignment my teachers did but we had an assignment I remember this so clearly and I think it was not just one year but many years of what is the biggest wish that you could ever wish for and so we had to draw a picture of what we really 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 wished for and wanted okay I don't know if you did your grade school well I, I got this assignment more than once okay so I remember because I was very smart that my biggest wish was for all my wishes to be fulfilled mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. the other kids you know they wished for this or that and the other thing I was wishing that all my wishes would be fulfilled smart kid so, <laughs> um, so what I was essentially wishing for as a kid was a wish fulfilling gem okay because a wish fulfilling gem in ancient Indian mythology is a gem that you could discover in the bottom of the sea and it would fulfill all your wishes okay so you want a wish fulfilling gem 
so that all your wishes will be fulfilled. Yeah. But a wish-fulfilling gem cannot fulfill dharma wishes. It only can fulfill temporal wishes. Okay? So my mind at that time, you know, may all my wishes be fulfilled. I might have had a wish for the whole world to live in peace in fourth grade. But I was also probably interested in getting some new skates. You know? (laughs) So, you know, what are we wishing for? What are we creating the causes for? Um, This wish-fulfilling gem that we get, even if we could have all of our worldly wishes fulfilled, are we going to be happy? Yeah. Even you could wish that everybody who you loved would never die. Okay. That you would live in the kind of place you want to live with. You would only be around wonderful people. That you could have the education and career that's best suited for you. No problems at your work. You could wish and wish and wish and wish and wish everything like this for yourself. On and on and on and on. And it could all come true. Does that mean your life is meaningful? Yeah? Does that mean that your life is meaningful? Okay. So that's why they say that a precious human life is more precious than a wish fulfilling gem. Because a wish fulfilling gem can give you all this other worldly stuff, but it can't give you the essence of a precious human life, you know, which is a meaningful life, which is practicing the Dharma. Other than doing this, there is no offering of practice. Okay, so other than making use of our precious human life, there is no offering of practice. Grit your teeth and do not let the once attained opportunity afforded by human life slip away. I don't think he means to sit there and, you know, literally grit your teeth. But I think what he's saying is like, wake up, you know. And be willing to go through a little bit of discomfort or even some hardship so that you don't let this once obtained opportunity slip through your fingers with nothing to show for it. If you do not utilize this tremendous potentiality, is your heart not vain? So it's like somebody who has unlimited credit and doesn't use it. Now, if we have this incredible opportunity to practice the Dharma and we don't utilize it, is our heart not vain? Aren't we just being stupid and deluded? Yes, we are being stupid and deluded, aren't we? And the sad part is about it that at the time of death that's when we see it and we can't do anything about it then. Mm. Yeah. Is that we talk and talk and talk and blah, 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 blah and we keep just giving into the afflictions and then the time of death comes and we get it and then we can't do anything about it then. 
then it continues however it is a bordering value to listen to or practice the Dharma with a motivation mixed with white, black or gray aspects of the eight worldly concerns that is the motivation to outdo enemies and protect friends which is praised by worldly people but actually is shallow the motivation to obtain material benefit a universally condemned motivation and the motivation of impressing others which some think good and others despise okay you know it just hit me because I've heard this thing a long time about white black and gray aspects of the of the eight worldly concerns and I've never been able to find out what it actually meant and I remember Sopha talking about this and he also wasn't clear exactly what it meant but I'm realizing here that the, that the third Dalai Lama just gave three examples and they match up okay mm-hmm. uh, okay a white motivation would be the first one the motivation to outdo your enemies and protect your friends which is praised by worldly people so that's the white one meaning everybody agrees okay mm-hmm. yeah outdo your friends harm your friends I mean I'm sorry harm your enemies protect your friends yeah everybody thinks that's a great motivation mm-hmm. that's you know the right thing to do then the second one the, the black one was the motivation to obtain material benefit a universally condemned motivation okay so the motivation to practice the Dharma just to obtain material benefit everybody condemns condemns that and thinks that that's corrupt okay you know and then the third one is uh, gray so it's a mixed one meaning some people approve and some people don't the motivation of impressing others which some think good and some despise so I'm going to practice the Dharma to become somebody some people will be really happy that I do that and then other people will not be happy that I try and become somebody so I'm, I'm wondering if that's what is meant by the white, black and gray aspects of the eight worldly concerns okay but in any case you know uh, these motivations kind of run rampant in our life don't they the motivation to outdo our enemies and protect our friends help our friends find them in our enemies I remember my very first meditation course Amazopa was teaching on precious human life and he talked about this and he said if you use your life to help your friends and harm your enemies how is your life any different than an animal's life because that's what animals do they help their friends and they harm their enemies yeah and human beings we have such sophisticated ways to help our friends and harm our enemies that we don't even realize we're doing it but basically the mind is exactly like an animal's mind isn't it yeah help your friends Okay. and then the motivation to obtain material benefit yeah so I'm going to practice the Dharma so that I'll get some money and I'll get some wealth and blah 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 
and then the motivation of impressing others actually some people think that that's a good motivation you know if I can get some money out of practicing the Dharma yeah it's not so bad yeah I can earn my living through that it's not so bad I mean everybody condemns it but but actually you know if you can do it and get away with it why not yeah make everybody think that you're a real sincere practitioner but actually you're just trying to accumulate money Mm-hmm. Okay, so we do that too, yeah, and then uh, we do things just to accumulate material benefit, and then the motivation to impress others, yeah. So anyway, we can impress others. We can't be the best, whatever it is, in whatever field we're in, or whatever hobby we do, or whatever we want to be best in. Well, I'll just be the best dog practitioner, yeah? and then we compete with all the other Dharma students so that we can impress others so that we we can be somebody in the Dharma world I know all these other Dharma people I have all these connections I've driven so and so in my car (laughs) well people do that really I, oh yeah! I remember, you know, it's, it, it was so clear to me one time. This was in when was it? Ninety? Did I do this trip? I think it was in 1994. I Alex arranged, you know, and I went to the eastern, the former Soviet countries in Eastern Europe, and then into a lot of the former, you know, Soviet republics, mm-hmm. and we were. Where was I? I was in Donetsk, Ukraine. And the people had a little Dharma center there. You know. <laughs> of course they had parties and drank vodka too. In the meditation hall. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean they didn't have good teachers who taught them, you know. So, um, but... Uh, I remember so many meals because I was there for a number of days and uh, they would tell me about all the different teachers who would come and all these, you know, cute little anecdotes about different teachers. Oh, this one likes the, you know, because they had Korean pickles or something. They learned how to make Korean pickles. Oh, this teacher likes the Korean pickles, and this teacher doesn't, and this teacher likes this, and we took this teacher here to this and such a place, and that teacher there. And all these cute stories about all their teachers, and they talked just constantly about it. And I thought, hmm, I wonder when I leave, you know, they're going to say, tell all sorts of cute little stories about me, but are they going to remember anything I taught? Yeah, and and we see that sometimes. You know, we we try and impress others by telling cute stories about different lamas. But if that person asked us what did they teach while they were there at your center, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it must have been something about Bodhicitta, Bodhisattva path. Something about Dharma, yeah, that's what they thought. Something about Dharma. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. So, if you do not meditate upon impermanence, death, and so forth, and thus pass beyond mundane thought patterns, you run the risk of having negative motivations dominate your mind. On the other hand, if you practice the pure Dharma well and with no pretenses, you quickly and firmly lay the foundations for lasting happiness. Okay, so this is what we were talking about earlier, you know? about uh, if you don't think about death and impermanence yeah, then your mind gets stuck in all the mundane thought patterns yeah, and it just we ruminate about this problem and that problem the other thing and how's this going to get done well the outcome that isn't getting going to work or if we really try and practice the pure dharma with no pretenses yeah, really shifting our mind into a positive way of doing things, we firmly and quickly lay the foundations of lasting happiness. So I think we'll stop there this evening.